All right. Well, my name is Mitch Dobson. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my honor uh, and privilege to, uh, to come to you tonight to talk about one of our principles of ministry here. Um, we've been covering the principles for, uh, for the last month or so, a uh, month and a half, maybe two months, uh, covering them on Tuesday nights. I would encourage you, if you've not had a chance to get uh, those, if you've missed a week or you didn't catch a week, maybe you were serving, I would really encourage you to go back and, and pick those up. These are kind of underpinning, kind of foundational premises uh, and principles of our ministry. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the, the sixth ministry principle, that our leaders are servant leaders. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen a good motivational poster. They, my understanding is they came out primarily in World War I, you know, the Uncle Sam, we want you, and, you know, commit to, you know, they were big in England uh, during World War I. Matter of fact, I was just with Mark Schaefer and the guys from Tampa. We, we hit the World War I Museum, and uh, there was a motivational poster, and it said, do you have an excuse, or do you have a reason or just an excuse? not to be in the cause. It was like, wow, that's a pretty cool motivational poster. Uh, but th then it wasn't maybe in the 90s, I'm guessing, maybe late 80s, early 90s, the motivational posters kind of became a thing. Like a thing, you know, the black ones. Some of you know what I mean. They were like, there was this like really cool picture, you know, maybe it's really picturesque picture and it'd have like one word or a little catchphrase under it with a little quote. Well, maybe like this one, like this one, make it happen. A guy standing on a mountaintop, you, you probably can't see the quote, but it, the quote says, some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. Michael Jordan. Like, I, I feel like I'm a little closer to dunking right now because of it. Um, one thing I know is it inspires me to get my TPE reports done. Some of you get that joke. All right, then there's also ones like this one, maybe perseverance. It says, keep moving forward, even if the turtle cloud is faster than you. Where's my brother? Where's, where's Brian? Where's Brian? Hey, sorry, bro. <laughs> So a couple weeks ago, Brian preached to us and shared a great picture. I think that's him on the dunes of uh, Colorado. Who knew there were dunes in Colorado? Dunes of Colorado being outrun by a turtle cloud. Um, but <laughs> but here, here's another one. Here's, here's a, a real one. Leadership. Now picture it as Colonel Joshua Chamberlain leading the 20th Maine on the little round top at Gettysburg. Some would say his leadership was crucial in the North winning that pivotal battle. Here, he's leading his men down the hill in a bayonet charge when they had run out of ammunition. The, the line, leadership. It's not just telling people what to do. Wow. Like, kind of want to charge hell with a squirt gun when you see stuff like that, right? Or maybe, maybe it's this one, leadership. 
right? De Washington crossing the Delaware. Now, this one's, it doesn't, it, it kind of, it was at night, so this picture, you know, the painting doesn't really do it justice. I think they've got the glory shining behind George Washington there or something. But George Washington's crossing the Delaware River under the cover of night to attack the enemy on Christmas Day in Princeton, New Jersey. Like leadership, it says, continually demonstrating the capacity to translate vision into reality. I don't know if you've ever been to that place where Washington crossed the Delaware. It's kind of nondescript, but it was an amazing strategic maneuver. He had amazing leadership. These motivational posters give, uh, you know, give, a, give us a, a boost of energy, right? Now, the problem is when you see him at your office and you see it every day, it kind of loses the, 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 the pump there, right? But it, it gave rise to an alternate product. Does anybody know what those are? the demotivational posters. So there's some really good demotivational posters out there. This is one, leadership. It kind of depends on the leader. <laughs> right? I mean, kinda. If you jumped off a bridge, right? Or, or maybe this one. It's a wonderful picture of seagulls in the sky. Leaders, like seagulls, they'll fly in, make a lot of noise, mess stuff up, and then just leave. I actually had to, I typed over the real one because what it said was not appropriate for <laughs> church. But you get the point. Sometimes leaders make things worse, right? Um, or, now this last one, this last one's cruel. I do not subscribe to this one. This is mean. Okay. Leadership, shut up and do your work. Compared to me, you're just a bunch of ants. Now, don't, oh, don't, don't take it out on me. It's funny. They're demotivational posters. They're, people, they're, they're the memes before there was an internet, okay? They were the memes before there was internet. Now, ultimately, these kind of point to leadership styles, right? They point to leadership styles. Maybe it's incompetent leadership, like the sheep illustration, or distracting leadership, like the seagulls, or or just downright mean leadership, like this one with the ants. But depending upon who you ask, there's all sorts of different types of leadership styles, right? If you could, if you could advance. You know, I, I took a strategic leadership course a few years back for work, and it was very telling. I, I was literally psychoanalyzed. I had to take this, it was like a two-day series of tests, um, and you know, it was, it was rough. Um, they actually interviewed the people that worked for me at the time and the, my peers and situations and they cross-matched all of that and then they told me I was in, you know, needed to grow. Surprise, surprise. They said that there were eight types of leadership. I don't know, just, uh, just a very quick search. You can see eight, you can see five, you can see four. I, I started counting them and there's like a lot more than that even, depending on how you break them down. On your page, you'll see uh, a list, autocratic leadership. That's a style where the leader makes decisions without involving others, maintaining strict control of the team. A laissez-faire leadership. This is a style of leadership that has a minimal interference from the leader. They give the, give the team members significant autonomy to make decisions. They basically just provide some really nice guardrails for, uh, for decision making. There's transactional leadership. Now these leaders focus on rewarding desired behaviors and punishing undesired behaviors. 
And so they incentivize and they provide consequence or de-incentivize, right? And, and so that's a transactional leader. There's charismatic leaders who, who use their charisma, their personality to get people to do things. There's coaching leadership. I mean, uh, obviously, many of you have had coaches, and, 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 and maybe you've kind of come to understand what a coaching leader is, but those are, are folks that, that guide and support the team members' development by providing feedback and opportunities for growth. That's a nice way of saying get your stuff together, right, if you're on a team, right? So the best leaders, they say, develop a blend of all the different leadership styles based on the situation in play. Sometimes they'll be very coaching. And they'll sit down and we, we really need to talk about how you can do better. Sometimes they'll be very, very charismatic, you know, go team, rah, rah. Sometimes they'll, they'll even be some of these other uh, topics, other leadership styles that we're going to talk about. But before we talk about servant leadership, Let's look at a few of the other types, and those are the ones that are also listed. You can fill those in in your chart as we go through them. But the first one we want to talk about tonight with some depth, and there's a reason I'm covering these tonight before we get to servant leadership. The first is a visionary leader. A visionary leader. So you should just be writing maybe visionary, and then you can put some examples if you want, like you could write Elon Musk, or you can write George Washington, and you can write the scriptures that we'll look at in just a second, if you so choose. Now, a visionary leader mobilizes people toward a goal, toward a vision. But if you had to summarize the style of this of this leadership in a phrase, it would be, you know, let's go get it. Like, I'm going with you. It's kind of like Joshua Chamberlain going down the hill at Gettysburg. He's out in front. He's, he's rallying the troops. It's a very visionary, very rallying kind of uh, uh, approach. This leader is generally self-confident, empathetic. They know what their folks are going through and someone who can bring change easily, right? This style works best when you're starting something new. Oh, say a church or a Bible institute. Which is why Sam is a wonderful visionary leader. He's got, he, can, he can rally a whole group of us around a vision. I also think James, Pastor James and, and Andrew and, and Wagi, pastors, they have a very visionary mindset. This is not uncommon for missionaries. It's not uncommon for church planners. It's not uncommon for people who are teaching in Bible institutes all over the world. It's a very visionary perspective. Even the pictures, Elon Musk and George Washington, okay, those, those are pretty... But, you know, when I looked up on the Internet, and everything on the Internet's true, when I looked it up, you know who came up as a visionary leader? The, the other guy with the fr fluffy collar. King James. King James was a unifier of England and one who determined that people needed Scripture in their language. He's a great visionary. It was interesting that, that, that someone shared him as a visionary leader. But he's not the only visionary leader that we're going to... The, or these three aren't the only ones we're going to look at tonight. Go ahead and advance the slide. You'll see that Jesus was a visionary too. If you consider Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, look at this quote. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock 
I will build my church. It's a very visionary statement. He can see into the future, see, I mean, obviously he can, but leaders, human leaders, they can capture a vision and say, we're going to get there. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Or even over in Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus had charged his disciples and, and they, they, they knew that they were going to preach the gospel among all nations. That's a very visionary statement. Like if somebody was trying to get me to, to be motivated, they would look at me and say, Mitch, you're going to have the opportunity to preach the gospel on five continents. I'd be like, whoa, really? That's cool. I actually, there, I have a bit of a bucket list, and I think I'm going to have to push Antarctica off. I don't know that we're taking any mission trips, but I have a life goal to preach the gospel on every continent. I can't get every country. I don't think that's going to happen. But that's something I want to do. And it takes a vision to accomplish those things, right? Those are very visionary references to our Lord. The next, is a, the next style is... It's so what we call directive leadership. Directive leadership. Now, look, directive leadership gets kind of a bad rap because it's not touchy-feely, okay? Directive leadership isn't like, like Chamberlain or, or Washington crossing the Delaware. It's more like a fireman telling people where to go when they're running out of a burning building. <laughs> like, we're not going to sit and we're not going to discuss what the best exit strategy of this building is if it's on fire like should I go out that door or should I go out that like you're not doing that in an emergency situation directive leadership is very important very important like this picture up here also of the, the hospital I can only imagine that dr. best and working in the in the ER Right? Somebody comes in, he doesn't have a, he doesn't, take, he doesn't take a minute, let's all sit down and discuss what we think is the best plan of treatment here. It's very directive. Okay? I need this, I need this, I need this. And the, the nurses and the staff that support him in that moment know it's their job to do that. Like there's not a, that's a form of leadership. Okay? It's not touchy-feely, but it's oh so important. It's very important. It's also important when you do something like build a house. So when you're building a house, you, if, you're, if you're a homeowner and you're trying to build a, a home, you may go to the builder and say, I really want those stairs to not have a stair rail. And they're going to say, it's not going to pass code if you don't have a handrail or don't have the spindles, right? There, there are times for discussion and design, but there are times when it has, to be, it has to follow the letter of the rule, in this case, code, right? These leaders make sure that things are done appropriately and in order, to use a biblical example, right? This is the kind of leader you need to execute on a Bible Institute that has to send out communications to teachers in the form of Brandon Briscoe and say, we need X number of seat hours, you have to have a test. You have to have this. We have to do this. We have to do that in order to get our articulation agreements, in order to get our, our status, right? So sometimes we don't like the touchy-feely, 
or we don't like that type of leadership because it's not touchy-feely, right? We don't get a warm fuzzy, but it, these things aren't necessarily up for debate. We just kind of need to do them, right? The drawback to directive leadership uh, style is that it doesn't leave room for personal growth, okay? So the nurses in the ER, they're not thinking about their career aspirations when the doctor tells them to start an IV, okay? They think about their career aspirations when the, 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 the excitement has settled, when there's not a patient to see, maybe in their own home. They go in and talk to somebody at work about how they can grow. So there's times for directive leadership and there's times for others. But when the situation is right, directive leadership is really important. It's really important. You might not think that Jesus was directive, but he was. Notice in Matthew 21, then sent, two, uh, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, now, now check this out, go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, bring them unto me, and if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Jesus was very directive to his disciples because it needed to be done a certain way. Doesn't mean it's done without love. Doesn't mean it's done without compassion. It's just there's times when Jesus, well, I don't know, prior to a triumphant entry, needed it done a specific way. So he instructs his disciples to do that. So Jesus also could be directive. The next, is, is the next one we're going to cover tonight is called affiliative leadership. Now, these leaders create harmony and connect emotionally. Both Reagan and Obama had this gift as presidents. Usually, affiliative uh, leaders are great orators. They encourage connection by saying things like, I would love to have you join me. You know, there's a, a connection there, like, and emotional, I'd love to have you join me. Even notice on, if you can see it on Obama's website, this is from, I think, his second election, I will always have your back. Thanks for getting mine. It's a very emotive feeling, a very connecting kind of statement. These leaders tend to, to be able to motivate during stressful times because there's a esprit de corps that's developed. Right? We're connected emotionally and we can charge hell with a squirt gun. But they're really good at times of challenge and change. So they're often good change agents, which is arguably what Reagan and Obama were significant change agents politically. And, and while we'll see Jesus in just a second in a few verses, I think, and I know I use Pastor Best as an example of directive in his job, but I think Pastors Best and Gracier are both really good affiliative leaders. They're always connecting. If I talk to Gracier about something, he's like, well, well what, do you, what do you think is best? Like, I, I want to make sure you're good with it. Like, I literally had this conversation with him out here earlier today. I mean, Pastor Best does the same thing. Well, let's, let's make sure we're all together on this. And it's, it's a very respectful tone. It's a very in, engaging tone in a way that makes you feel welcome, that makes you feel like you're part of the team. It's awesome. It's not 
It's, it's the touchy-feely, if you will. It's the warm fuzzy. But he obviously can, can have different leadership styles in different situations. Notice in, in Jesus' examples here, in Mark 2, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. What did Jesus do? He sat with the sinners. He sat in their house. He connected with them. He ate meals with them. And what, as a result, what happened? They followed him. They connected. We also see it in Luke 19. Touch directive here, but ultimately affiliative. In Luke 19, 5 and 6, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, Zacchaeus, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. So what's Zacchaeus do when Jesus says he wants to come over? Well, you call your wife and ask her to clean up the house and get, you know, vacuum real quick and put the stuff under, shove stuff under the bed or whatever, and then you take Jesus to your house. That's what you do when somebody like the Lord says, I want to connect. I want to spend time with you at your place. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We love that about him. We love that he was affiliated with us, right? That he connected with us in a real and meaningful way. It was such a contrast to the religious leaders of the day, right, that did the exact opposite. Even the fact that we have a Savior who was touched with the feeling of our infirmities and tempted like we are. Very affiliative connection. We also see a democratic style leadership. Democratic style. Now this is not to be in contrast to a quote Republican style. This is a leader who tries to get as many people on board as possible. They generally drive to consensus. If there's somebody out there who disagrees, they want to know why, they want to hear their side, they want to try to assimilate the discussion, they'll ask questions like, well, well what do you think? They generally over-communicate, but they do so for a purpose, right, to make sure people are connected. They do that, they try to get others to talk, they understand where people are, they're very, usually very discerning leaders. They're perfect in situations where a lot of input is needed. Where maybe you have a lot of different ministries that fall under your responsibility. Don't get me wrong. These leaders are leaders just because it sounds like they're not because they gather a lot of information. What they do is they're really masterful at getting other people to think it was their idea. And there's, that's some, there's something very empowering about that. Truman, in his quote up on the screen, says, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. That's a democratic leader. They're not in it for the accolades. They're in it for the, accompl the, the accomplishment of the team, of the goal, right? The other picture there, it's obviously just a, it's just a rendering or whatever, and we kind of think of King Arthur in the round table, right, the, the, the legend. But it was actually King Edward III, excuse me, who used an actual round table inspired by the King Arthur legend with his leaders to create a sense of belonging and unity that had not been ever experienced in that group before. 
See, I think Kenny is our Democratic leader. He's our pastor who uses... Matter of fact, he told me tonight, I ask a lot of questions so that people understand where they're at. Something to that effect. I was like, you're a Democratic leader, but I didn't tell him that. I wanted to learn it right here. (laughs) Jesus does the same. In Mark 8, 27-29, Jesus went out and His disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, He asked His disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. Uh, But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answered and said to him, saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Now Jesus could have easily said, You know I'm the Christ, right? But he didn't. He engaged his disciples, he pulled information out of them, and it empowered them. It's a very, very special thing that he, he did. And I see that a lot in Kenny as well. The last one that we're going to talk about before servant leadership is this concept of pace-setting leadership. Pace-setting leader is the kind of direct, is kind of like a directive leader. And they get a lot of flack because this pace-setting leader, this one's a little easier to rally behind than a directive leader. But but it's not necessarily nice in the same way that the affiliative and the, and the, the, the directive leader or uh, democratic leaders are. They're driven to accomplish specific goals and they often take on more and more responsibility, but they always, almost always ensure results, one way or another. Pace setters work long hours and they kind of expect others to as well. When you look at, at Steve Jobs or, or, or General Patton, they, they have some amazing quotes. Steve Jobs says, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. <laughs> That's a pace setter right there. He also said, customers don't know what they want until we've shown them. Wow. That's a pace setter, right? George Patton, it's an amazing quote here. A good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan executed next week. Wow. Like, if we do just a reasonable job, but we do it right now, that's going to be better than if we strategize a little more. That's a pace setter. Jesus was a pace setter. Notice in Luke 10, Then Jesus saith unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Like, get after it, boy. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and in the other most parts of the earth. You can make an argument that's a visionary statement, but he's saying, you're going to do it. And I'm going with you, by the way, right? Even when the disciples fell asleep, could you not watch one hour? It's very, a very pace-setter type leadership. When I think of the pastor here, I mean... That's Will. Whew. That man has another gear. Is he, did he leave? Did he, he was right over there. Oh he's, oh, he's translating. That's right. So that is Will. Matter of fact, in our pastor's meeting tonight, he, he showed us a way that we need to all do this thing with cards, and that's how they're doing it in the, in the Hispanic class, and everybody was like, whoa, okay. I mean, he's a pace setter. And he's okay if not everything gets done, he, but he's always going to be pushing. He's always going to be uh, piston pumping, right? 
So, so here's the deal, and if you go to the next, the next slide, there's different leadership styles. I think that, that would basically fill out your chart, right? It's interesting to me because from the world's perspective, a directive leader often thinks affiliative leaders and democratic leaders are soft. Pace letters think that others are too slow and they can't make a decision. Affiliative leaders sometimes think visionary or directive leaders don't think enough about the people that they lead. All of these things can lead to division if you're not careful. The type of leaders that we are as pastors, that many of you are in leadership positions in this church, be very careful. Because while Jesus elicited different aspects of leadership, he showed us how to do it, it's all for naught if you don't have servant leadership. It's all for naught. It's just strategy. The world can execute it in the corporate world. People can do it in the political realm. It's all for naught if you don't have true servant leadership. So when we look at servant leadership versus these other styles, I would argue that servant, servant leadership is, is actually not a type of leadership. It's actually more than that. It's a way of being a leader. A way of functioning as a leader that is still allows you to be visionary or directive or affiliative or democratic or pace setting. It's a way of putting other people first. So I'm going to run through fairly quickly these points, six points on servant leadership that are really important. But please don't miss, don't miss that irrespective of the style of leadership that you see around us, okay, none of those things matter if you're not a servant leader first. A biblical servant leader builds on a foundation. Not a foundation that they themselves lay, but a foundation that the Lord laid. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Paul continues or, or also communicates in 1 Corinthians 3, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, you could be a visionary leader and not build a foundation on Christ. You could be a democratic leader and not build on a foundation of Christ. You could build it on yourself if you're not careful. See, a, dim, a, a servant leader knows that they're building on something bigger than themselves. It's not about them. It's about building people in Christ for His glory. They see great value in the sure foundation of Christ. Which is and always has been fully sufficient for the follower. We'll, do, we'll hit this real quick because of time, but there's this down pyramid concept that you'll see in the church where Jesus is at the bottom, and the, then you'll see the apostles and prophets, and then the, then the church body sits at, at the top. Leadership sits at the bottom where selflessness, sacrifice, and death sit. Those concepts support and invest in those above. You want to lead? Die. 
I think Sam said at one time, die already. This isn't about you being heard more. This isn't about, this isn't about getting mic time. It's about you dying. And until you get that down, you may have all the other types of leadership situationally right, but you won't be a servant leader. See, it's the opposite in the corporate world. The corporate world, the leadership sits at the top. The benefit flows up. The, more, the, the higher you go on the ladder, the more you get, the more that's available for you. Our flesh sees advancement, pulpit time. You, okay, this is going to sound silly, but I'm being very transparent. For a long time, when I was a younger believer, it really mattered to me if someone mentioned my name from the pulpit. Like, the, I loved that they would reference, not, not because I wanted to hear my name, but because that meant I was important to them, that they would think of me in that moment, right? That they would reference me or that they would use me in a group of people in an illustration or something. I'm just being very transparent. I had to grow through that. If that's you, give that up. Die already. <laughs> Die already. Because the world wants to advance. The world wants to get, like I said, more pulpit time. They want to get, they see more responsibility as ministry success. Nope. The servant leader must sacrifice. In order to lead in a biblical way, like we said, you got to die already. Look at Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You want to be preeminent? Die first. Even in Ephesians uh, 5, this wonderful passage about the, the family unit and the husband and wife, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The only way you become the Savior is to sacrifice or die. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. A servant leader must sacrifice. Sometimes this looks like sitting down after a long day and you've given yourself to ministry and you get one more text or one more call. And what are you going to do? You take it. You deal with it. You sacrifice. You invest. The servant leader advances others. Similar to the inverted pyramid, building on the foundation already laid for you, the servant's leader's very existence is actually for the body, not for themselves. Notice how Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that in verse 14, we henceforth be no more children. So a servant leader thinks of others and their advancement, their opportunity, their growth before their own. That's what a servant leader does. They take great pleasure in seeing the success of those that they minister to. I first learned this on a t-ball field. 
I don't remember which son, Marshall or Manning, was, I was coaching t-ball, and it wasn't them that I'm talking about, but I had worked with this kid on swinging a bat, and they could not hit the ball off of the tee. And I'd worked with them all season, and it was like second to the last game, last game, they finally got up and whacked it over the second baseman's head. And the only thing I can remember, and this is, this is not great leadership, the only thing I can remember is going, yes, as the kids like looking to go, because they've never run to first base, right? <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, you gotta run that way. <laughs> but I, take, I took great pleasure in them finally being successful. That was a, you may say, Dobson, you're, you're weird. That was a big moment for me. That was, because the kid hit the ball. No, no you're missing the point, because you're laughing at me. No, <laughs> like, like, it was a big moment for me to realize it's better to be, to take joy in other people's success than my success. Servant leaders humbly serve others. You say, okay, wow, Dobson's coming with the deep thoughts because servant leaders serve others. Okay, yeah, duh, but it is right in the name, I get it. But this has to be evident, not just talked about. It's not just a talking point. Jesus exemplified it by washing feet. But it shall not so be among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. You want to define success in ministry? Maybe it's the number of toilets you've washed or cleaned. Maybe it's the numbers of times you've taken out the trash. And I have seen more people argue about who's going to get the trash in this church. No, let me get your trash. No, let me get your trash. No, I'll get your trash. I'm serving you. No, I'm getting your trash. I'm serving you. And I love it. And then I swoop in and grab it and be like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but you want to be great? You want to be great in the eyes of the Lord in ministry? Serve. Serve others. Even in Mark 9, and he sat down and called the twelve, and he saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last, and servant of all. You want an attaboy from the Lord? You want the, the well done, thou good and faithful servant? You better start practicing your service. Luke twenty two twenty seven. I am among you as he that serveth. See, it's, it's more than just showing it. It's more than talking about it. It's going an extra mile in ministry. It's abasing yourself so that someone else maybe gets the opportunity. It's taking a step back and supporting someone else's ministry as compared to saying, get out of the way, I've got something to say. Two more and then we'll be done. Servant leadership does not lord over it doesn't lord over those who choose to follow. And I use those words specifically because the key here is that a servant leader supports and loves, but can only do that to those that want to be invested in. If you have to dictate the rules of engagement beyond Scripture, or if you have to set yourself up as the authority in someone else's life, I would argue you might not be a servant leader got to be real careful. At least not in that moment. Look, the pastors of this church have an amazing responsibility. I, 
just to be honest, kind of second guess, showing kind of sheepishly raising my hand and saying I desired the office. It's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight. There are times we do have to be very direct with someone. But, but let me be clear, that's different than lording over. When we have to be direct, it's usually to protect the flock. Not, you know, usually I'd, I'd much rather prefer, prefer that I lead you to water than beat you and take you to drag you to the water, right? Mark 10, Jesus called unto them and saith unto them, or called them to him and saith unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so it shall not be among you. It's hard to be a lord over someone you love. I, those, those concepts are very, almost incompatible. He can, you know, in 1 Peter 5, 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but what? An example or example to the flock. And then our last point, and we'll wrap. Servant leaders invest in a future. They look at people at what they can be, not just what they are today. They empower and encourage people to be something greater than they think they can be. A pastor who thwarts growth because he wants accolades for himself, he doesn't give up pulpit time, he doesn't invest in other people, is never going to see anyone develop, oh, which is probably okay with them, by the way, until his church dies and he stands there wondering what happened. Jesus wanted more for his disciples than they wanted for themselves. I'm sure they would have been very content to have preached just in Jerusalem. But he's like, oh no, you're going to go to the uttermost. You're going to go farther than you could have ever imagined when you were fishing or collecting taxes. You're going to go all the way around the world preaching my gospel. He saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you into something that you never thought you could be. And, he, and, and in Luke 29, or 24, 40, uh, 24, 47 through 49, repentance and remissions of sin, remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus saw something much greater in his disciples than they could see in themselves. And a servant leader does the same thing. They look at the people that choose to submit themselves to their pastoring, to their leading, to their shepherding, and a servant leader says, I want to give myself to that person because they're going to do something great for the Lord. And I'm just going to be very content to sit back here, throw my hands up in the air and say, they finally hit it over the second baseman's head. And they're going to take great comfort behind the scenes, great joy in knowing it's a job well done. They don't need a pat on the back. They don't need accolades. They just need to serve. So a servant leader must do these things. I think you've got it. They build on a foundation. They've got to sacrifice. They advance others. They serve others. They don't lord and they invest. 
If you're not doing these things, I would argue that you're not a servant leader. But it's one of our fundamental principles. And the great news is you can do it. You have the map right in front of you. You can serve others as a servant leader, despite no matter whether you tend toward a directive style, whether you tend toward an affiliative style, a visionary style, we'll all find our fit in the body as it's pleased the Lord. That'll work itself out. But you've got to be a servant leader. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clear pattern in Scripture. And Lord, just as we, as we close tonight, um, Lord, I thank you for, for your sacrifice. I thank you for uh, your investment in us. I thank you that you abased yourself. I thank you that you determined in your plan that you were going to make something of us when we had just utterly ruined your plan, your original plan. That is such a, a great comfort for me that you looked at me, you looked at these people here, you looked at, at, the, at the apostles and you looked at the prophets and you looked at Paul and you've looked at the, the Timothys and the Tituses and the people for generations and, and you've called us to something greater. You've called us to sacrifice. You've called us to be conformed to your image. And Lord, all, under all of that is service and, and having a servant mindset. So Lord, as we dismiss uh, tonight, and I know we're just a touch long, Lord, as we dismiss, may everyone capture that it's not microphone time, it's not pulpit time, it's not accolades, it's not the number of eyes looking on them, it's how we serve. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.